Welcome to The Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Today on The Innovative Mindset, we have sales expert Marcus Chan. Marcus is the founder of the Venley Consulting Group, helping sales professionals supercharge their results without needing years of experience. Please enjoy this episode of The Innovative Mindset about sales, business, and life with Harrison Kelly and Marcus Chan. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy to bring you another episode of The Innovative Mindset with another great guy I was able to meet through LinkedIn, Marcus Chan. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks so much for having me on, Harrison. Appreciate it. We're going to have some fun today. Yeah. No doubt. The pleasure's all mine. I've been uh, seeing a lot of your content on LinkedIn and not only are you getting good engagement, but it's it's really high quality stuff. So I'm excited to share the life lessons from a salesman who clearly has transcended just being a salesman and has grown into something so special. So uh, awesome. to, yeah, to kick things off, I'd love just the the quick pitch of who you are and what you've done so we can kick things off with that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Marcus Chen. I'm the uh, founder of Venley Consulting Group and in which I work directly with a B2B sales professionals to help them sell more and earn more. Now, uh, before I did all this, I was born and raised in uh, Springfield, Oregon, which is just a little town in uh, in Oregon. And uh, I'm actually the child, uh, the middle child of a Chinese and Taiwanese immigrant. So my parents actually came here from China and Taiwan during the uh, Cultural Revolution, went to escape from there, coming to America to try to build a whole new life. So um, what's actually kind of cool is, even though they had no support, no money, and incredibly poor, they were able to build a really, really cool life, you know, for all of us. And it all started with initially them having a Chinese restaurant. We all pitched in as kids, you know, it was a tough upbringing, but you know, obviously we learned a lot of really cool lessons from there that's helped me down the road to, you know, you know, getting a job, graduating, go to corporate America, you know, having success in there and eventually starting my own business doing what I do today. But it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a long journey, but uh, you know what? I'm glad to be here now. Crazy fascinating. And, and from what I've read, you've really, <laughs> you've really come a long way from your roots, but I would love to kick things off just kind of exploring growing up with parents that weren't from the United States and really embracing that American dream and coming over here. So do you want to delve in a little bit about what it was like pitching in and what it was like having the perspective of an immigrant as a parent rather than someone who had grown up in the United States? Yeah. So it was really definitely interesting, right? So, you know, when my parents came over, um, so they initially officially made to America, you know, like, and it was like the late seventies at that point. And at that point, like, you know, they couldn't really get a job. I mean, outside of working like maybe fast food or in a Chinese restaurant. So they started their own restaurant. And that was that was really it. So they started their own restaurant. And, you know, like before I was born and we lived in this tiny house in Springfield, Oregon. My sister was first born. And then eventually when I was born. And then growing up, we all pitched in. Like I I remember literally like it like we it, there, there was no, uh, you know, take your kid to work day because we were always there, right? Like, like we were yeah, either every day was working in the restaurant, right? Every day it was. We either were working in the restaurant or we were in school. That was it, right? So, like, at the, at the age of five, I'm already pitching in at the restaurant doing whatever it takes. And it's nothing complex. Like, I'm busting tables. I'm filling water glasses for people, you know. Our, you know, our patrons, right? Uh, or I'm in the back chopping mushrooms, or maybe I'm literally having with a rusty knife outside 
cutting weeds, right? Whatever <laughs> it takes, huh? Whatever it takes. And w- the thing is, growing up in that type of environment, it's, it's also very unique because you get to see firsthand your parents putting in the work. And that was really, really uh, a really great experience for me because, you know, my parents, you know, they would say, hey, listen, you got to work hard. You got to put the work in. You got to earn it. But I saw them doing it too. So seeing them lead by example was very, very, very powerful. Now, there were things, obviously, like them being still so fresh, right, even a few years in, so fresh, you know, from, you know, being out of the country. At that point, they really weren't indoctrinated in many things. So I remember even early on, to give you an example, right, like even from a cultural perspective, most kids are very used to sleepovers and, you know, also even as a kid. And I remember my older sister, like, you know, at that point, she's like, you know, even like at even in middle school, my parents were, were like, weirded out that she would want to stay at her friend's house like that was some of the cultural stuff right you know and it's just stuff that they had to eventually adapt to right to even stuff like eating lunch that was a different thing like me bringing my lunch to school was different than everyone else everyone had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches i had like rice and vegetables and meat in a little container i mean like everything was different like it was literally like because I, 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 it was like my house inside was living in an Asian country. And once I walked out, it was not. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, just weird. Opposite. Polar opposite, you know, <laughs> all these cultural things. And, you know, and it's also the thing is too, like, you know, growing up, like, you know, I didn't have many friends, but the friends that did have, they didn't always understand like how we did things. If they, they would say, hey, do you want to play after school? I'm like, no, I have to go to the restaurant and work. Like, a six-year-old doesn't understand that, right? Like, but me, I did, and I think because we grew up, we grew up so poor, and I always had this fear that eventually, because I saw where we came from, I always had this fear that we, I become homeless at one point. I definitely grew up faster, right, in understanding things. Like I remember, I remember being seven or eight years old, literally walking in one day to the restaurant with my parents to open up the restaurant on a Saturday, and someone had broken in overnight. They had sm- it was a glass door. They smashed the glass door. They broken in. They trashed the whole place. And and I remember thinking to myself at the, at that age, I'm like, oh no, like are we going to go under? Are we not going to have enough money to survive? Are we going to be homeless? Are we going to lose our house? Are we going to have to stay in the back office in the restaurant? That's the fear I had as a kid at that point, right? The seven years old, right? So um, that concept of fear and scarcity was embedded into me at a very early age of always needs, always need that plan to do whatever I, I could to eliminate that risk of that ever happening to me ever again. So uh, it's a very different environment that most kids grew up in. Um, at the time as a kid, I, I didn't like it. As an adult, I value it. Great. I value lessons. I could imagine yeah. so. And I was going to say, not only the cultural distinctions that your parents instilled in you, but the that work ethic, what do you think some of the biggest lessons you learned as a result of that would be? Yeah. You know, it's interesting is um, obviously the work ethic piece, um, having goals and going after your goals is definitely a huge one, right? Um, you know, and one rule, um, my dad taught me a lot of lessons, right? And one of the lessons I thought was super valuable was, um, you know, and not everyone always understood it, but he's always had like, uh, you know, there's a book called The Go-Giver, Right. He's always like a go-giver mindset, always to give more than he ever got. And it's really for anyone. And I saw that all throughout, you know, growing up, like, even though we, we didn't have much, he gave whatever he could away, right, to help other people out. He, he gave his time. He gave whatever, right? So, like, if, for example, he might have already put an 80-hour week. But, you know, 
our neighbor says, hey, listen, you know, can, can you help me like fix my sink or do whatever? He would do it without, without second, he'd just do it. That's just how he was, right? And, and to me, that was a really powerful thing to see growing up, you know, and, and that was really, really neat. And I, I saw to all these other situations, I remember another situation where literally um, he was like, we had this competitor, at, at, we used to also do these festivals and we had a competitor who really didn't like us there. They didn't like that we were taking their business from them. Right. And he would always treat my dad really poorly and try to get him kicked out of the festivals and all this stuff. And my dad was always treating really, really respectfully. One day during like the, the dinner rush, which is really important for, for festivals because a lot of customers come in, that competitor had like an issue with their stove and it stopped working, meaning they could not produce food during the busiest time of the day for the festivals. So the dude's freaking out. My dad goes over there and helps him fix it. Right. And that guy, the competitor's like, wow, you know, like, okay. So just that, that, that um, mindset of respecting people and giving to people has, I've always seen it pay off for my dad. Even when people didn't like, I mean, there's time like my mom was like, well, why are you doing that? He'd be like, why not? <laughs> why not? You know, like, he's like, I came to America because people helped me get here. I didn't get here on myself. He's like, I'm not a self-made guy. I got help. People help. I got a sponsor. This person helped me get a job here. It wasn't easy, but I got help. And I can only, it's only, only my, it's my responsibility to also give back to help others as well. So, I mean, there's so many lessons just like that from my dad that I learned growing up by watching it. It's crazy fascinating. And I, I think one of the fascinating things going off of that is just the Americans are often born and raised to be very individualistic. It's kind of, especially with capitalism, it's, it's kind of all about me all the time kind of mentality. Whereas a country like China, where it's more of a socialist, it's more of a communal, we're all in this together kind of mindset. But as we get into talking a little bit about your sales experience, one of the, one of the things that resonated with me the most in my collegiate experience was talking about give first if you want to have success in business. So the fact that your dad would go out of his way to do something, even if it was something minimal for somebody else. Right. Oftentimes people are inclined to reciprocate with an even bigger favor or giving you a big opportunity. So it's so worthwhile right. to be doing those nice things like that. So what a great thing to learn early on, huh? A hundred percent. I mean, I'm thankful for it, right? Like, you know, what's interesting is like, you know, and my mom was, wasn't always, she's like, Hey, listen, you work so hard. Like, you know, why are you doing that? And he always explained and he always gave and it's, I mean, it, it paid him back dividends in so many different ways, so many different ways. Incredible. So it's, it sounds like they did a good job of instilling a great work ethic with you. So from there, you, from there, you were able to pay for your own school, right? And yep. did you originally know you were going to go into sales in studying? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, so, you know, especially, you know, being a, you know, Asian descent, my parents wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or a pharmacist. It's really, really common. <laughs> so um, I didn't do any of that. In fact, it's, what's funny is, um, so I actually, was like, okay, you know what? Like I used to be really big into like, you know, drawing and stuff like that. And I loved art and, you know, like, especially with like, you know, with my parents and how they grew up, they're like, you need to get a good job, a high paying job, with a good status, right? Like you can't become an artist. That was like, you know, that was like a very big no, no. So I'm like, okay, like, what could I do? Like maybe be an architect. I'm like, all right. So I actually had filled out my application for architecture school. And then before I even turned it in, you know, my dad was like, hey, listen, like one of our customers that comes in all the time, he's actually, he owns a firm in, in Eugene. Would you like to, you know, hang out with him, see what it's all about? I'm like, sure, sounds great. So I went there and after spending a day there, I realized I, not, I like nothing about architecture. 
right? Because in my mind, I had pictured uh, late nights on a drafting table and, you know, be really fun drawing. No, it was, it's all done on AutoCAD. It's all done on computers. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, that's not what I expected at all. So I literally took my application. I threw it, I threw it in the garbage and I, uh, I went undeclared and I really didn't know what I was going to study. So I just kind of chose business. That's what it was. It was like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm going to, I guess I'll do business. And same thing as I was going through, <laughs> right. I hated finance. I hated accounting. I'm like marketing. Eh, I kind of like marketing. So I went and got a degree in marketing. Right. So when I graduated though, um, I still didn't know what I was going to do. I really didn't. And I knew I'd get some sort of entry level job to do something. And I was one of those guys that went and talked to every single person at the career fair to kind of field the opportunities. Sure. And I was really fortunate by talking to so many people, I got pretty good at interviewing and I actually got, had like five job offers at the end, of, at the end of the year for job opportunities. And I was really excited about that. And, um, and, and they would range anything from, uh, sales to like analyst roles, et cetera, you know, anything from like a $29,000 base salary to a 60 K base salary. And the one I went for was actually the lowest paying one is a $29,000 base salary. And it was for a B2B sales for a startup division of a big company. And, um, and my parents were really pissed. They were like, why are you taking the lowest paying job? And it's sales. You've never done outside sales before. Why, why this role? And to me, I didn't see it as sales. All right. I saw it as it was an opportunity to build a startup from scratch. And to me, that was really exciting to build something from scratch, hopefully get promoted and be running teams. Like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Maybe it's this. So that's what I went to go do. And when I went to go do it, I struggled at first, right? I mean, I, I remember day one on the job, uh, you know, my boss who'd never done my job before, never done outside sales, you know, and he gave me a manual written by, written by people who'd never done outside sales before either and said, good luck, right? And I went and I, I literally knocked on the door. I literally went and canvassed like, an outside. I literally walked outside, sort of walking down the street to hit every single business up. And I walked into 60 businesses that day and did not book a single appointment, did not close a single deal. And I thought I was going to quit because I'm like, I can't do this job, right? Uh, now, eventually I figured it out, right? But it took me years to be able to say I'm in sales and to be proud of it. Because for the longest time, especially after graduating, when someone would say, hey, what do you do? I'll say, hey, I'm in sales. They would say, oh, what do you really want to do, right? That was a pretty common thing. So. Uh, now, very proudly, I tell people I'm in sales and what I do, and I love what I do, right? But for the longest time, it was not like that at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I could understand that. There's definitely challenges right out the gate. Uh, as we delve into some of the mistakes that you face, there's a couple things that you mentioned that I, I like to highlight when I, when I stumble upon something that kind of makes something tick in my brain. Great sure. piece of advice that you emphasized there was going and spending a little bit of time for free at that architecture firm. So many people think about so many people think about what I want to do for a living. Not enough people go out and actually find out what they like, what they don't like. So oh, yeah. for me, the free internship type of deal is the best thing you can do for yourself right. to kind of get yourself on the right track for what mm -hmm. direction you want to head in. And second 100%. of all, another great thing you touched on is the fact that you avoided that instant gratification of accepting a higher paying job. Right. Focus on the high experience opportunity. Right. Instead, I'm in a very similar position. I, uh, I had a couple job opportunities in Manhattan 
but the role that I got, I ended up accepting at this small startup, clean media. It's just me and my boss. So he's mm -hmm. the, he's the director of SEO at audible, like mm -hmm. the, uh, the audiobook company. So mm -hmm. I knew going in super bright guy, I'm going to get that hands-on firsthand experience and I'm going to have creative control and also be mm -hmm. able to get a, get a hand in every facet of the business. So for me, I'm my sorry. thought process, similarly to yours, it sounds like is mm -hmm. the experience I'm going to get now is going to make me have a much higher paying job several years down the line. So it's worth sacrificing that extra 10 grand I might've made right out the gate. So very similar oh, oh, yeah. uh, mindset in that regard. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if like, you know, like I don't think, I don't think people encourage it enough, but man, I think it's so vital. The first like 10 years of you in the workforce is like, go out there and like fail as much as possible. <laughs> like, Definitely. like, you know, like fail before you get, you know, uh, you know, whether maybe you don't have, assume you don't have a mortgage yet. You don't have, you know, you don't have like major bills, yep. you know, family or other things like take that time to go and fail as much as possible and learn like, yep. and really, you know, like, and the more you can do it up front, it's, it's only going to pay you dividends in your thirties. You know, like, yep. totally is. yeah, I'm fortunate enough to say that I failed miserably quite a few times in college and, and here we are, put me a couple years ahead on the, uh, on right. the path to success, right. you know? So yay, failure. <laughs> yeah. So, so fr going from there, I, re I remember reading a little bit about you that you did have, like you mentioned a lot of failure right out the gate. What were some of the key lessons you learned and what were you doing wrong that you learned you needed to change? Yeah. So when in my mind, right, because I've always like worked hard, like I've always worked hard. I've always put a lot of hours. So I've been able to have some, you know, okay success, able to pay for college, able to get okay grades, you know, like done well in like swim team and other things. I'm like, by simply working hard. So in my mind, I had equated the, you know, I created the equation in my head. If I just work hard, I will have success. That's what I, I equate, right? And in being outside sales, my first, so day one, I did 60 cold calls. Day two, I, I walked into 60 more businesses, still didn't you know, close single business. Day three and four, I was on the phones making hundreds of calls and not booking any appointments. And I realized, I'm like, how is this possible? How is it possible that I have walked into 120 businesses and then I've called them like 200 times and not have anything to show for it. This can't be what sales is about. Right. And that was like, uh, and that was like an, an aha right there, just right there. I'm like, okay, maybe this is not just hard work. Right. You know, I'm like, there's gotta be something more, you know, like there must be something I'm missing, some sort of knowledge. Right. Like, it's kind of like if I'm trying to go on a road trip somewhere, but if I'm in the wrong direction, no matter how hard I drive or run that direction, I'm still not going to get to where I want to go. <laughs> you know? So, that's how it felt. So um, what happened was I actually went to a library that weekend because my, my, my girlfriend, now wife at the time, my girlfriend's like, hey, listen, like you're struggling. Like maybe you should get some sales books or something. I'm like, I guess that makes sense. Like in the before when I was trying to figure something, yeah, I'll just study it and be like, okay, grades. So I went to the library and got all these books and I kept trying and trying in, in, in these sales books and I read all of them voraciously and I kept trying to put them into action, right? And you know, I, over time, it took me about eight weeks to have a little bit of progress. Not much, right? Not much, right? And then what really helped me move the needle was I started studying personal development. And that was really the trigger point, right? 
and that it, it made me it allowed me to learn more about myself, how to improve myself, which I was able to apply to a sales process. And that was really interesting, right? And I realized um, at that moment, as I started having more results, and really it took me years later to kind of figure this out. At that point, I started obsessing about personal development um, in every single aspect about how to become a better human being, how to rewire my brain, how to biohack how I perform. And by obsessing about it, right, and implementing and learning and learning these things that I didn't think was possible, I started getting better and better results. And what I realized was simply this. I had stopped working. I said, like, when you work hard at your job, you'll make a living. But when you work hard on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And I saw the more I worked on myself, the better I became. I became a better boyfriend or husband, better friend, better brother, better son, better at my job, better leader, better sales professional by working on myself. And that was a major aha because I, th I remember like later on, people were like, hey, what's a good sales book? I'm like, stop reading sales books, read personal development, become better at yourself, and then you'll become better at sales. And that was a, a really big turning point of me understanding that, right? And I'm still very obsessive about personal development. I'm always seeking to get better because we can, we can always become better, right? By feeding our mind the right things, surrounding ourselves with the right people, that, that can change the game once you know to actively work on yourself. No doubt about it. There's a, another episode of the podcast with a, a great guy who, who helps people beat mental health issues. His name is Sam Morris. And he actually battled addiction for himself for a long time. And he was able to beat it by applying what he called a beginner's mindset on a day-to-day -day basis. So essentially, his mindset is, regardless of where you're at, whether you're a Jeff Bezos or just getting started, every single successful person treats every day like, there's still room for me to grow as a human right. being. So 100%. having that philosophy that you mentioned is huge. Can, would you mind touching a little bit on what some of those rewirings of your brain and how you personally developed yourself at that time? 100%. Right. So one of the most important things is, um, and one thing I learned from Tony Robbins was, um, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question. And when you think about this, for human behavior, when, you, when something happens that you don't like, Okay. And it could be anything. You got a bad grade or maybe you're riding your bike and you fall over, right? Or you get in a car accident or anything happens. Your spouse, breaks, you know, your spouse or girlfriend boyfriend breaks up with you, whatever. Something happens. Something bad happens. And instinctually, you're like, why did this happen? Why me? And a lot of time it becomes like, what's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with the world? Why are they like this? And if you think about oftentimes the question, the answers we start responding back with is like, well, because they're a jerk, um, because that person hate me because they weren't paying attention, you know, because of this, because of that. And you start, you start, you start feeding it, you start responding with these negative things. And what happens is the, each little negative response your brain is responding back with is an ant. It's an autom automatic negative thought. It's a little ant that crawls into your brain. And what follows that ant is another ant. And another, and another. And before you know what your brain is filled with, these, all these negative thoughts or ants crawl over your brain and they overtake you. And then suddenly you feel undefeated, right? And that can lead to other mental health issues, right? And then you don't eat well, you, take, you don't take care of yourself, you start feeling terrible. So that's, I start realizing that, right? Like I have a bad sales call. Oh, man, why is that person a jerk? Why are they so mean to me? Why do they do this? Why do they no show me? Why do they say this? 
And there was such a negative way. So when I uncovered Tony Robbins, he, he taught me to ask better questions. So, so about bad sales call, okay. The, the better question should be more like, instead of why this happened, it should be, what can I learn from this? Yeah, what, what went wrong? I learn from this? Right. What could have gone better? Yeah. What could have gone better? How can I take what I learned to apply so it doesn't happen again? And that was really very powerful, just, just that first piece. In fact, the, the, way it helped me, the way I remembered how to do that was because in the moment, when you're in that emotional moment, there's no logic. There's only pure emotion, right? So what I would do is I literally got a piece of paper. I typed up some questions like that. What, what can I learn from this? How, you know, what can be great about this? How can I apply what I learn? Typed it up, taped it to my visor in my car. And before I went my sales call, I would just flip my visor down, right? So go on my sales call. If it went great, awesome. If it went terrible, which was happened a lot early on, I got my car, my visor's down. I'm about to go my negative tailspin. I see my questions, that visual trigger. So that allowed me to, to walk myself through those steps, right? And by doing it over time, eventually you train your mind to start doing it, right? And also, if you're working with other people and you start helping them with the same thing and they, they, they say, oh, I can't believe this happened. Hey, well, hold on. What was great about that? What can you learn? And you also do with other people, it forces you to learn, right? And those are some of the little things I started doing, right? What I also started learning was how important it was to, uh, you know, using affirmations and changing your, you know, your physiological position to change how you feel to put yourself in a peak performing state. And that was a really powerful one as well, because, you know, I was thinking about, I'm like, you know, when I'm, when I'm on the phones and I'm making calls and they're going really bad, I'm like, naturally I start, you know, leaning forward. My shoulders kind of slump down. I kind of lean forward, you know, and, and when I do that, you can hear my voice, right? In fact, you can hear my voice now, but when I sat straight up, you feel better. You feel more confident, right? Like it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if you like try when next time you're angry, try smiling super hard. It's super hard because you are trained physiologically in your mind that smile means happy, right? This is why even as kids, we are wired to smile means happy, right? So same thing. So if you are priming your mind, like I, the way I prime my mind, if like if I, you know, I'll, a little before my, before like I got to the office in my car, I do five minutes of affirmation. I'd be sitting up straight, yelling affirmations in my car in a positive way, chest out, shoulders back, smiling, passionate, putting myself in that peak state. So once I walk in the door, I'm ready to go. And of course, it takes time to do that. And of course, I added more things to it to essentially put myself in that prime peak performing state that helps me get the best, you know, best out of me every single day. It's fascinating. And it, it really gets to the root of how important human psychology is and pretty much every facet of every single one of our lives, even though it's, it takes a really the skill of being able to dig beneath and finding your why to, to kind of realize that, all right, this certain characteristic and my behavior here translated to this sale going crappy or whatever it may be. Ironically, like this afternoon, for example, I was, uh, <laughs> I was playing my brother in tennis and he's a few years younger than me. So like, I hate losing to him, but ironically <laughs> he played for forever and I'm just starting now. And I was ahead of him for a while, but then I find myself getting like a little frazzled and my head kind of gets a little heavy. And by then it's like, he crushes me every time. And I've been trying to kind of think about like how psychologically can I change 
myself so that I don't get so flustered because I think I could crush them every time otherwise. So it's just a matter yeah. of getting to the root of like, well, why do I feel flustered? And it applies to anything, be it tennis or being a salesman or anything. 100%. And that's what's important to understand. When you understand that, like what kind of questions you can ask and how can you put yourself in a peak performing state? When you think about any top athlete, right? Athletes are a great example. Like you'll see majority, 99.9% .9 of them, like, like, like a Michael Jordan does not just wake up and go to the basketball court. He has a routine of what he does before he even gets to, you know, gets to the gym, gets to wherever he's going to be playing at. He has a routine to mentally prepare himself. There's a routine in the locker room. There's a routine on the bench. There's a routine before he leaves the house, right? Michael Phelps is infamous for his routine as well. Like everyone, they, they all have a routine to set themselves up to feel their absolute best so they can perform at the high level. And then they have ways to, in between sets, right? You know, they have ways to trigger themselves again, right? And you see the same thing with like people who are great, great at, uh, you know, doing public speaking. Like if you watch a lot of them behind stage, they're like priming themselves, right? Like Tony Robbins is well known for, he has a trampoline. He jumps on a trampoline to get himself. Wow. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little trampoline. Just to get himself ready to go and just deliver, you know, because what ends up happening is when when you're on stage, I, I've done a lot of big speeches, like you expend so much energy, right? So if you are not in the peak state, uh, then you when you go on stage, you're going to just, you're just going to die, you know? So you need to prime your mind and for performance, regardless of whatever, whether it's playing tests with your brother or, you know, you're going to uh, go to work, you know, or you can do anything, prime your mind so you can be the best version of yourself. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be kicking his ass in tennis in no time, so I, I can't <laughs> wait for that. <laughs> but going back to Jordan, uh, I actually just watched The Last Dance, like, last weekend. Like, holy shit, so inspiring. Way more right. than just basketball this man is able to accomplish. But the right. thing that really resonated with me, probably the most in the whole show, uh, it, it came down to his routine, but it also it came down one quote in particular. He said, he said, um, he said, a lot of guys would get nervous before they would take a shot, and it would make them like me in tennis. It makes them mess up and end up losing the game. For him, he says, why would I fear a shot that I haven't even taken yet? And that that failure to overthink is like the most important thing I think you can have for yourself being able to just avoid thinking about the future and just he lived so in the moment it was incredibly inspiring and, and I hope to aspire to be in a similar position to that right because a lot of times what happens is if you think about this oftentimes people fear taking an action right because there, there's a fear of failure right and the only way fear can grow is time that's what it is when you give it time it grows right but if you get used to and comfortable with doing things you don't like to do you become not necessarily fearless but you know how to act in spite of fear that's what happens right like like early on i feared every single call like every call on the phone but here's the reality right in my in my head the worst thing i could, I could imagine happening was they would be cursing me out and yelling at me right i in my four, 15 plus years i can count on like two hands how many times they actually cursed me on the phone and i've done thousands of cold calls play the reality was is like the, the the logic is really this i mean like simple logic would actually show you you make 10 dials chances of actually talking to decision makers maybe one out of 10 so i'm like 
that's a pretty low chance, actually. It's only 10%. So I'm like, most of the time, it's just a voicemail. But even though emotionally, that fear is, oh, they're going to hang up on me. They're going to reject me. But that actually happens very little. Most of the time, they don't even answer. So, you know, again, the longer you take to make that dial, the more the fear builds up. And there's real no fear except in our own head. Like really, like the, the hardest territory to manage is always the one right between your ears. If you can manage that territory, Definitely. you'll be successful. I honestly think like, if you're Anything. really in fear of something that you're taking action to do, it's probably a good sign that you're making the right move. So there was a long while that I, I literally sat on quite a few podcast episodes before releasing the show for some time. And I also was hesitant to post video content on LinkedIn just because I was scared. I was nervous of how people were going to receive it, how people were going to judge me, but I eventually just kind of dropped it and did it. And, and I mean, I'm sure there's people that have mocked me and stuff, but most people generally have been receptive. And as I find more success, I feel like the people that have been hating on me (laughs) will most likely like kind of be like, Oh, I know him growing up. So it's like, there's no point in letting your fear stopping you from hopping in. There's no doubt about it. 100%. 100%. And I, I believe it's a very common fear, right? I mean, for many people, it's, it's, it's constantly, it's like a fear of failure or a fear of someone judging us, right? You know, I, I, I remember the whole social media posting, it's kind of like, oh, if I put it, if I put it out there, what if people don't like it? What if they judge me? And then you realize after a while, <laughs> you know what? Most time people don't care. <laughs> you put it out there. And of course, like the more you put, there's going to be trolls. There's going to be people like trying to clown you, whatever, right? You know, but at the end of the day, you, you just put it out there. You, you won't be able to make everyone happy. You really can't, you know, you just, you just got to do you and just. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like, <laughs> you just even if care. it does suck and people are rightfully trolling you, it's like, you have to start somewhere, you know, it's so I'd rather jump in and, and produce something that I'm not like crazy proud of. But as we went back to before, learn from the things that I failed at early on and pivot accordingly and get better. So I realized just from the first few episodes, I, I'm from New York, New Jersey. So like I could talk a mile a minute. So, so listening to those first episodes, I was like, all right, like slow it down a little bit. <laughs> Speak so that people not from New York and New Jersey can understand <laughs> you. And it, I'm, but it took me yep. talking a mile a minute to the first couple podcast guests to like have that click in my brain. And I mean, that translates to anything, not just podcasts, like being well-spoken and and, oh, yeah. qu- and not speaking too quickly is so huge. So that's just one example of many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as your time went on, I, obviously you found a lot of success and have grown pretty substantially within the sales community. And I know that you eventually became a sales manager. What were some of the things you mm-hmm. observed in helping other people learn to become good salesmen that you would like to share today? Yeah, you know, and I think... um. Man, I, I've taught a lot of salespeople. Um, you know, I th- I'll say the first thing is, is put the ego aside. No matter how good you are in sales, how long you've been in sales, I found ego is probably the number one thing that holds people back from taking it to the next level, right? And, you know, because and, and, and this happened to me a lot early on, being a really young leader. I mean, I became a, a, a you know, I started leading teams at 22. And, you know, and I had people on my team that were significantly older than me, right? In their 30s at the time, you know, I'm like a decade younger than them, right? And they would, they would like be like, okay, why should I listen to you, right? You know, that's kind of how it is, you know, and a title doesn't earn respect. So that ego held them back, right? It really did. 
And the ones who were open to learning and implementing got results. They, they simply did that. So regardless of wherever you are, like put the ego aside. Like you can always learn and see different perspectives, right? And that's, I think it's the first one, like put the ego aside. That's a really, really common thing I see is like, especially if you have more experience. The second thing is, um, you know, focus heavily on improving your active listening. That's really a big thing as a common mistake I see across the board is many salespeople are so focused on what should I say? How should I pitch it? How should I present it? At the end of the day, most of the clients, they don't even care how you present and pitch it. They want to understand that you know and understand their business and you have a good fit for their business. So your ability to ask questions or learn how to ask questions and understand and hear them and use good active listening skills helps you develop trust faster and helps you close faster when you learn how to do that properly, right? So for example, some, some reps make a mistake of they say, you know what, I have a list of questions now. I'm gonna go boom, 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 right? And it's kind of like with we, even with our you know our chat today, you get some questions ready to go, but you're listening to what I'm talking about, taking some notes, and then you have follow up questions that you didn't initially have planned. And that's where the magic is. The magic is not your initial question. The magic is in your follow up questions. That's we get into the, the nitty gritty, the roots, and then we of course spin off to other powerful things. And it's the same concept. Salespeople need to take, take into apply as part of their process as well. So those are probably two big ones: a losing ego and work on active listening. No doubt, both super critical things. Whether you're in sales or anything, being an active listener is just is yeah. crucial in just relationship right. building in general. <laughs> if you go out on a date and you're listening to nothing of what your girlfriend's saying, like you might <laughs> you might not have many more dates. Uh, as far as active listening, obviously those follow up questions is a great follow up, but. Are there any other piece of advice you might give for someone who's trying to get better at active listening? Yeah, so a really great one. So if you are, um, you know, working active listening, you know, work on repeating back what you heard before you ask your next question. That's a very powerful way to to show, number one, you you heard them. Number two, helps you make, make sure you understood them. And then number three, now it, it really helps you feed into the next thing. So for example, you know, like if, if we're talking about whatever and you're like, hey, listen, so if I understand you right, this is what you learn. You know, learn A, B, and C. Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. Well, to dig deeper into that, let's talk about this specific thing now. What do you think about this? And this shows that receiver that you heard the question and they're like, okay, cool. They feel validated, right? And they know they could count on you, you know, to take care of them, especially in the sales process. They're like, okay, now they actually know. You know, it's kind of it's like this. Um, Early on, you know, when I was dating my, you know, my girlfriend, wife now, I made the big mistake. If she, we, we were talking and she was complaining about something, I came with a, with a solution, right? Like, I'm like, oh, no, no, we should do this. she get pissed and that wasn't the right way. Then I learned when she was telling me about things that she was unhappy about, a worker, for example, I could be empathized and ask more questions. Like, oh, man, it's really tough that they, they said this or did this. You know, like, tell me more about that. And she'd tell me more. And even if it didn't come to a resolution to what to do next, she would feel better. She would feel better about, you know, the whole situation, even though nothing actually changed, but she, she knew that I understood her, right? And that's so powerful for relationships, for sales, for really anybody else, right? Like, sometimes you don't have to have a resolution. Sometimes you just need to talk. <laughs> that's it. 
so important. And just being able to show someone like, I'm here for you. I understand your struggle. Even if you don't have a solution, just kind of letting them get their frustrations off their chest oftentimes is like the best thing that you can do. Letting them talk. Yeah, just being a shoulder that someone can lean on. <laughs> You're bound for success regardless of, again, business or personal relationships. So super insightful. Yeah, and I, I, even leadership too, right? Leadership is the same way, right? Like, you know, if leading, leading teams of reps, a rep might come to me and say, oh, they're, they're frustrated, they're struggling. They start telling me and I start digging deeper, tell me more, help me understand, getting their point of view. And a lot of times well, there, there needs to be a resolution, right? So because of whatever situation they're in, I'm, one of my, my, my following questions is going to be like, hey, so how do you think we should handle it? And they're like, wow, I'm not sure. Maybe we could do this, this, and this. I'm like, okay, should we do that? Sure. And a lot of times it actually taught them how to solve a problem on their own as a result of active listening. And then they came to the conclusion of what to do. And then they're also more committed to doing that action versus me saying, oh, you know what? That's a terrible problem. Do this. You know, and oftentimes that doesn't, it's not as effective as them coming to the table and figuring out a solution together in a great way by utilizing active listening. Exactly. It really goes to the same idea as well that you can't like my solution to a specific problem isn't necessarily going to be person a or person B's problem. So our solution. So it really putting the idea in their head, like you need to figure out your own why <laughs> and being there for them as they kind of figure it out out loud. It's like a therapist pretty right. much. It's like the therapist, yeah. the therapist gets you to just say things out loud that are internally in your head all along. But the power of just being able to, to speak them and vocalize them sometimes is so powerful and releases so much tension. So it, it really could be applicable anywhere. Oh, oh yeah. Well, what happens is you know, when, when you, uh, a, a good leader is not one that always has the answers, right? But a good leader teaches you how to open your mind to process and think better, to learn new ways, right? And they enlighten you. And those are the ones that when you think back into your life, personally, professionally, sports, you're like, those are the ones like, wow, they really make an impact on your life. You know, it's like, it's not like, if you had a tennis coach, it's not the one who just taught you one move. It's the one that helps you open your mind to the new potential of what you could achieve. And that's when you remember, even if, they were, if their methods were different, right? But it's, it's a different way of thinking. That's all. Definitely having that innovative mindset, quick plug for the podcast. It's the, way, the most important thing that you can have, no doubt about it. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, I got the got the episode plug. That's that's always a nice uh, a nice plus. So backtracking a little bit, as we kind of wind things down here a little bit, the other thing that you mentioned is being able to put aside your ego. And this kind of goes back in, especially here in the United States, we're so individualistic, and especially people that are younger like yes. me and people younger than me, it's so easy to get caught up in that me 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 kind of mentality. Is there anything that you could specific, specifically address to overcome that and kind of make it so that people are less self-oriented? Yeah. So the first thing is just, you know, being just be just acknowledging potentially you could be that way, right? And it's okay if you disagree, right? And this is where it's really key to open your perspective, right? And that applies to anything, right? So um, for example, like, you know, if you were in a working environment, like, Getting feedback from others, your peers, your boss, people below you in all levels on what they like about you, what you can improve, that could be pleasantly horrifying. Like that may be pleasantly horrifying what you find out. Because really the first step is really awareness. 
you know, and when you do something like that, it can be like, wow, I had no idea. I really thought that they liked it when I did this, right? So I'll give you an example, right? So I had this, um, at, at this rep and he was very much like from where he came from before, very much cheesemo, very show-off. He always wanted to talk about how his nice cars, et cetera. And he garnered like, you know, attention, respect supposedly by doing that. Right. And the company now for me and my team, that was a no go. I'm, I'm not about that, but he kept trying to always flex. Right. Like, I mean, it was, for example, it, he, he was one of those guys where I remember literally one time he like, you know, he it was a, it was a bullpen. They were making dials, et cetera. He was goofing off. I pop over there as a sales. I'm like, Hey, just kind of check. Hey, what's up guys. You know? And like, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm just telling everyone how, you know, I can do the most pushups on a team. I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. And he's like, yeah, man. Like, oh, I bet I can do more push-ups than you. I'm like, it, I'm like, it's, it's, not, it's, I'm not gonna, bro. Come on, like, let's get back to work. Come on, guys. This is like, he's like, oh, are you saying you like this? This is how he was. I'm like, I'm like, you really want to have a push-up contest right now? Is that, is that what you're saying? He's like, yeah, I bet I can do more. I'm like, okay, man. So I'm like, what kind of push-ups? He's like, well, I'm gonna do the clap push. I'm like, okay, sure, man. So he goes, he does like. He does like, like 30 or something, right? He does a clapping point. He, he, he's, he's exhausted, I can tell. Right? I'm like, okay, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a clap in there. I'm like, cool, you did 30? I'm like, okay, hold on. I bust out like 31, I stop, right? <laughs> and I look at him, he's like, I'll go back to making dials. I'm like, exactly. So we get done later, and I'm like, hey, man, I'll talk to you. He's like, oh, you can rub my face? I'm like, just come out, let's talk. I'm like, hey, man, listen. I wasn't trying to make you look bad out there, but you got to stop with the ego do you do you realize by you always flexing and always trying to show people how much money you make or how much money you have their fancy things and these push-ups and all these little things you're doing it actually makes you look really insecure i thought he was gonna start crying and he was like i had i didn't know no one ever told me i'm like really he's like, no one ever told me he's like i'm like Cause he broke from a couple of weeks. Ago. I'm like, I'm like, I just see it now. Like, I'm literally telling you, like, if you keep doing that, no one's gonna like you on a team. No one's gonna trust you. It's actually gonna hurt you more. And he was like, "Oh crap!" He's like, "Okay." And then, and then, and he, and he was like, he was so grateful. He's like, "Listen," he's like, "If it happens in the future, can you just pull me aside and just tell me?" Because it, it, it just kind of happened, and, and that's what I did, right? And it's amazing. Like, over the years' time, uh, me just like when he would bounce outside the lines, I got him back in. He's a whole new person. And it, it became this thing where, you know, like he went from the guy that nobody liked to like everyone just thought he was so charming, you know, because he really had a good heart. I knew he had a good heart, but he had this false bravado that actually hurt who he really was. And he, because he's open to it, that was really key. So being really aware and seeking feedback, because some people aren't going to give you that feedback, right? You must seek the feedback and get, get it for real. And then work on that, right? And then, of course, you know, you can also expand that further and have you more perspective, right? Because if you're feeling entitled or whatever, get more perspective. Start tra travel the world if you can. Start learning more. And you start realizing how good we all really have it in the U.S. Like, like U.S. poverty is nowhere like third world country poverty. Not even close. But many people are like, oh, man, like, this is a rough because of, uh, Uber kid doesn't deliver this late. Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, or, like or, or, you know, Instagram's a little like, are you serious? Like, Instagram's pretty new, guys. Like, you know, like, get, get on the walk to a grocery store now, you know? Like, <laughs> the horror. <laughs> figure it out. 
No, it's right. So. It's true. It's it's very easy to get caught up in the negative, especially with the media constantly focusing on the negative. But yes. but focusing on the positive <laughs> is is usually a really good way to to focus on overcoming your challenges and, and finding success. And I mean, there's definitely winners and losers in the United States, but the winners are <laughs> they're really winning in the yeah. grand scheme of things. So it's really just a perspective. Yeah. It's a mindset. That's right. And you can like what's interesting is like for example. You know, when you start studying some of the great, most talented people in the world, right? Um, you learn a lot. So, for example, like Save the Last Dance. I didn't know this, but I didn't realize Scotty Pippen has such a rough upbringing, right? With his brother being a wheelchair, oh, his father, yeah. big family. Like that was like, wow, that's really inspiring, right? And and when you start uh, becoming more exposed to uh, autobiographies and stories like that, it really gives you perspective on how good we really have it. And a lot of times, people don't realize is no matter how bad we think we have it, there is always someone who's always has a worse. And to think that we're the first person to experience something in history is crazy. Like, like it's kind of like people are complaining about COVID for sure being stuck indoors. But like, imagine the Holocaust and you're stuck for years living in a basement with no internet, <laughs> nothing to eat, and people are going to kill you. Like, we're going to be okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. And I mean, I definitely, like, I was very fortunate with my upbringing. Like, I definitely came from a point of privilege. So it's it's easy for me to say. But even people that grow up, you see people all the time. Scotty Pippen's a prime example. You can get caught up in that negative, woe is me kind of mentality. Or you can say, 100%. I'm in a shitty situation here. What can I do to change right. it? And make those changes that you need to make and overcome it. And it that that light right. at the end of the tunnel is only going right. to feel that much sweeter when the road was that rocky along the beginning so right. it, it really is yeah. winning is a mentality a hundred percent yeah and i think what's key too is um you know it this is where even, even the greats have a coach right you know the greats have a coach or you know they have people around them who can give it to them straight and that's really important because sometimes you're not able to see it yourself right and it's okay to have other people say hey listen like Marcus, you know, like you got it wrong. Harrison, you got it wrong. That's okay, right? Like, you we need that a lot of times Super too important. because if we if we think we're always right, we're probably wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I wish Kanye West's last few albums somebody wasn't a yes man around him. <laughs> it's as right, simple as right, that, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, a couple, you know, a couple bangers back in 2007, yeah. you know. But like, <laughs> Kanye, you really need to record this on your iPhone, man. Like one person could have said that and maybe changed everything, but. <laughs> No, it's so true. Right, right, right. Having, I remember, I forget who it was on uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast. And he said the most important thing you could have is a trustworthy circle of people who are going to give you consistent, yes. legitimate feedback. So even with oh, the yeah. podcast, I found, I've told everyone that I've sent the podcast to, please give me your honest feedback. Like if you think the podcast sucks, tell me it sucks and also tell me why it sucks. But so many people are just mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah, it's great, man. And I'm like, I feel like you listened to it for like four minutes and actually didn't give it a listen, but it, I'm, nice. I'm still kind of actively seeking out those people that are going to be able to listen to it every time and say, A, B, and C could have been better. And, and finding those people in your life, those are like the, the best friends that you could have are going to be the ones that are most critical of your work because they're the ones that are going to help 100%. you to improve yourself and legitimately want to see you do better. The ones that are 100%. like, yeah, that was all right. Like it was pretty good. I liked how it came out what is that doing for me? Like, how is that helping me to better myself? You know? So 
So yeah. true. Well, it's interesting too. I think it's such a great point where it's like when you are seeking that feedback, who are you seeking it from, right? Like, you know, it's one of the things where maybe your friends are like, yeah, it sounds, sounds great. But if you, if, you, if you found some people who are also maybe really into podcasting and they put up some great content, they may have a different perspective. And the, the ones you aspire to be like, they might be the ones say, oh, listen, you know, hey, try this, try that. You're like, oh, that's a great point. I had no idea. You know, why didn't I think of that the first episode? <laughs> right, 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 right. We don't know what we don't know. We no, don't, it's, seriously. You know? Somebody made the great point like recently, like I had my laptop on the desk and my, I was like looking down at it and he was like, yo, put it on a stack of books so that you're eye level. And I was like, Right. Again, how did I not think of that the first episode? But it took somebody that knew the space and has experience to give me that constructive feedback that made all the difference. So, right. wow. <laughs> we packed right. a lot of insights into this quick hour. As, uh, as things conclude, you've definitely delved into this a lot already. But I always like to ask, one of my personal favorite questions is, what's something that you know now that you're surprised you didn't realize earlier on? So, um, you know, one thing I would say is, I mean, it may seem kind of obvious, but you really have like, like what got you to where you are today won't keep you here. And, you know, in my mind, you know, especially growing up, I'm like, okay, once I achieve this goal, I'll be really happy, you know, whatever. Right. And you start realizing over time, like the goal always moves, but also like all the efforts you put up front to achieve whatever goal when you hit that goal, it, it keeps you for a second, but it could start deteriorating away. Nothing is forever, right? And it's kind of like if you have a goal to get a six-pack, and once you get a six-pack and it took a lot of work from eating clean to working out, doing good cardio, and once you have that six-pack, you're like, great. But if you're not careful, if you don't maintain what got you there, it won't keep you there, and you start eating a bunch of pizza every single day, you're going to lose that six-pack, Right. And that applies to anything from relationships to finance or whatever. Like what got you there won't keep you there. If it's a really high goal, you, you if you're not careful, you'll start losing it. Care, you'll start losing it on, on you know after that. Definitely, stagnation. I think is probably the worst and thing that I terif- I'm most terrified of. It, it all ties back into that self growth, innovative mindset. It, it's you need to constantly be pivoting, and as you achieve goals not only maintaining those goals, but setting new goals, super right. high aspirations is that's, mm-hmm. that's, what's going to fuel your success and keep you hungry and getting after it. So it, it does, it does sound like something that should be pretty straightforward, but until you're actually out getting after it, it's so hard. It, it becomes a lot more challenging than it sounds on the surface. So. Well, what happens is people will get comfortable, right? Cause a lot of times we have a self-concept right now. And I've seen a you know, someone has a goal of making a certain income level, right? Maybe they want to make, you know, 100, 100 grand, you know, six figures for the first time. And once they hit, they're like, oh, cool. They kind of dance around it, but they never take it to the next level, right? You know, and a lot of times, you know, it's they just, they don't have big, big enough goals. So they have to, have to set bigger goals, but they're comfortable. They didn't realize because it took so long to get there. They're like, okay, cool. But then what happens is, especially in sales, sales, you have to earn it every single day as well. Otherwise, you know, you could not work there anymore. Their performance starts to dip. And I see that a lot too. They hit that goal, oh great, and then they they dip, and they go back up, and they dip, right? And if you have that mindset, I'm gonna constantly get better, one percent better every single day, regardless, you'll be okay. But it takes a conscious focus to get there. You have to constantly think about it and execute. Otherwise, you'll lose what you went, went, went after to begin with, and you'll lose sight of the bigger goal. And before you know it, you're too far from where you are to get back to where you want to go. And then you give up and that happens. 
Definitely. I mean, we've talked about Jordan a whole bunch here, but just the way that he was constantly, it could be so much as a simple comment made about his performance or something, whatever it took to get the best out of him, he would make, he would find something to motivate him. I think that's something that anyone can apply. What's a goal of yours? What's going to fuel you to hit that goal? And just being back to that self-reflection, being able to identify that it's imperative no matter what you're doing. So, right. <laughs> so, so great. We, we've been able to cover quite a lot in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, it's been such a pleasure having you. I'd like to give you a moment just to, to give your final shouts. Awesome, man. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Well, I appreciate it. If you are looking to sell more and earn more as a B2B sales rep, make sure to follow me on uh, LinkedIn. It's look at Marcus Chance, the only guy with speedos in the tagline. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, Make sure to head over to marcuschan.io forward slash resources. That's marcuschan.io forward slash resources to access free trainings, you know, free articles, things are gonna help you sell more, all completely free. I can't wait to check it out myself. So <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure, Marcus. Thank you again. Thanks so much. Alrighty, take care. Thank you for tuning in to episode seven of the Innovative Mindset with Harrison Kelly. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform that's YouTube included for the video version of the show. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow on Instagram and connect with Harrison on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.